This is Small Business as Usual, a program about the art of operating small enterprises and the issues faced by the owners. It's a presentation of the Community Economic Development Fund in Meriden, Connecticut. I'm Frederick Welk, a business advisor for CEDF clients. The Community Economic Development Fund is a nonprofit lender providing financing to qualified small businesses in Connecticut that can't obtain traditional bank financing. More about CEDF at the end of the program. This episode is about innovation through customer engagement. If you want to beat your competition, you have to have a point of difference. Something that you have that nobody else does, or at least you need to be able to deliver it in a manner that distinguishes your operation as being the best choice. Innovation sounds like a complicated effort that requires formidable expense and complicated research and development efforts, but I found someone who says it doesn't have to be that way at all. My name is Dave Sagers. My firm is Sagers & Associates. I am in the business of being a business consultant or coach. I help small businesses or businesses in the early stages of their existence to kind of help them answer the big questions. You might call it business planning, but we answer questions like, who are my customers? Where are they? How do I find more customers? How am I different from my competitors? How do I handle growth? How do I fund growth? I mean, these are the critical questions that that businesses need and definitely in the early stages of their existence, and that's why I'm here. Dave's been making presentations to groups of entrepreneurs regarding innovation and customer engagement. My inclination is to think of innovation as being the invention of the newest high-tech gadget that nobody else has dreamed of. I asked Dave what innovation should mean to small businesses and why they should care whether they are innovative. Well, one example I would give, and I give from my own personal experience, is in the healthcare system. So I have a particular doctor that my wife had encouraged me to, to use, and we used it for some health issues for my son when they were young, my daughter when she was young. And what was interesting is I think he had a pretty innovative approach to diagnosing. Uh, He was a naturopath. Naturopaths take kind of a more holistic view as opposed to a kind of a narrow view of a particular discipline. Uh, They ask you questions like, you know, your mood and how are you feeling and your diet and all those things. The key thing is ask, he has a lot of questions. So there's a lot of asking, there's a lot of listening, and there's not a lot of rushing to judgment. So as a result, what we found was in his case, he was able to solve some very difficult and kind of obscure health problems that had some extremely severe implications. So for us, his approach was very innovative. He also used a lot of current research and it would go and he just wasn't basing it on his years of experience and all. So I think in just subtle ways, he was had a slightly different approach to conducting his business. And I can't say how conscious that was, you know, and, and what his his journey to that was. But he did that. And so to me, what the impact to him in his case probably is, is he has a lot of really zealous fans, people who come back to him again and again. And who ref- and I, I always refer other people whenever I hear a strange health situation. I won't hesitate to refer other clients to him. So I think to him, the bottom line is business, right? Sales and cash flow and all those things that everyone in a small business wants. So the, the real key of innovation is it doesn't have to be the big innovation. A whole new category of product or a whole new way of looking at things like an Airbnb or, or something like that. It, innovation is just doing something different and doing it in a way that's differentiating, doing it in a way that the customer sees the difference and perceives the difference and values the difference, right? Because, And I think that's the key thing about innovation. It's, it isn't an innovation 
unless it's meaningful to the customer and unless the customer sees the difference and acts differently. In other words, comes to you for your service versus coming to one of your competitors. So absolutely, innovation is about differentiation and differentiation should lead to more sales, right? It should be repeat customers, you know, all those things that again lead to business success. But business owners meet with their customers every day, and I don't think everybody knows the meaning of customer engagement. I asked Dave to explain what he meant by this and what the connection was to innovation. Yeah, it's a good question because everyone has a different angle that, or, or meaning that they attach to that, and there's probably half a dozen different ones. What I mean by it is really the kind of the systematic process of learning from your customers, whether it's through the natural transactions that you conduct with them, like if you're in a retail space, you're just processing their transactions, or whether it's really reaching out consciously through surveys or focus groups or things like that. But it's the process of getting feedback and insight from your customers kind of in a systematic way. My thesis is there's a lot of sources of innovation, but I think one of the most valuable and easiest and is kind of right there in front of you if we have a systematic way to elicit it is really customers. Again, an innovation is an innovation unless the customer perceives it and values it more. So for instance, I would recommend people read a book called The E-Myth Revisited by uh, Michael Gerber. Very interesting book. But essentially what he says, the innovation is not an innovation unless the customer sees it as an innovation. So you can have great ideas, but unless you vet them out with customer, either through discussing it with them or running an experiment, observing what they do, it's not an innovation. So regardless of where your ideas come from, and they should come from all places, until the customer validates it, really, it's not an innovation. I asked Dave to explain the benefits of taking a consistent and structured approach to engaging customers and to explain some of the pitfalls that can occur when businesses listen to the wrong messages and have the wrong groups of customers driving the innovations. The important thing is you want to maximize what you learn with the least amount of expenditure. I think in the case of like my world, I live in the software world or have, software's expensive. So how can we create a situation where we can learn from the customer whether they like something or not, but do it in a way before we make a big investment. All businesses should be a series of learning or experiments. And the question is, how do you create the experiment on a very small scale and learn as much as you can early to know whether you're on the right path or not? So if you're introducing a new product, can you have a simulation of it? Can you have an example of it? Can you ask questions? Can you actually create a prototype or something that, that um, and it doesn't have to be a working prototype, seen companies put cardboard prototypes together of products and say, if it worked like this, what would you do? And they observe what people do. And it's a way of learning and finding out, well, maybe what you thought they were going to do isn't what they're going to do with it. So it, you can find hidden opportunities or you can kill what turns out to be an idea the market doesn't want to accept earlier with much less investment. First, it's looking at what are all the sources of customer information and feedback. Depends how big your business is. You may be the business, right? But you may wear many hats. So in different roles, you've got interactions with the customer. So you may have responses to marketing efforts and you're gonna measure that. You may have an online presence, a website, and there's data analytics from that. You may have sales calls, right? Or sales happening if you're in a retail environment. And there's information you picked up from that as well. As well as any, again, reach out you would do yourself, surveys or things like that. So for starters, you've got to look at all the interactions of anyone who's customer facing and be capturing some information from them consistently. That's the one angle. And the other is to do it on a kind of routine, on a schedule, be looking at what did we find out? What information have we collected? I think it's the quantifying that's important. 
because a lot of times when you get people in a room and I've been there where we talk about well, where are we going with this product? Whoever has the loudest voice or most consistent voice wins. That's not necessarily the best answer. The, the best answer is who has spoken you know, to the most customers who are in our market and our target or customers in our stores or wherever, right? So you've really got to have some recording of that so you can basically say, well, this particular observation is made by seven customers or 15 customers. It's not just anecdotal. We have to get away from anecdotal and get to information. It doesn't have to be a very elaborate database. It doesn't have to be. It can be spreadsheets. It can be, you know, it's got to scale the size of the business, I think. But I think it's very important. I mean, there's also things called recency bias, which are we remember the things that we heard most recently. So if you come to an important decision, you may unconsciously wind up making that decision based on something that happened very recently. And again, that's anecdotal as well. And that's just the way our minds work naturally. But those can lead us astray in our decisions. Obviously, we can we can get feedback again from what sells, what doesn't sell, right? You know, change your pricing. Does that affect sales? We can look at the numbers if we have a system that already does that. But the kind of reaching out and your customers aren't going to go out of their way to tell you kind of what's missing for them. Like, is there something else? Like if you're in a retail situation, is there something else that logically fits with another product that you have that people would buy at the same time? I don't think you may hopefully get the customers going to tell you that, but unless you're reaching out and consciously trying to capture that information, you're missing opportunities. When asking questions, be careful how you ask questions. And if you ask leading questions, you have a supposition in your mind of, I think this is the right answer. And you ask it in such a way that leads someone to say, give you that answer, then you're not really learning anything in that, right? So it's, it's, it's a real danger. There's a little bit of a trick to how you ask questions. The other thing with focus groups also is that the loudest voice <laughs> can predominate, right? And people, the first person to say something, people can sort of agree or by not saying anything, you take that as agreement. There is some research that says that you want to collect a group opinion, but that doing it in that verbal way, it's, it has pros and cons. People can play off each other and dream up things that or give you ideas that are spurred on by someone else's comment, or they can be the silent majority. And I think it, now you're talking about reading who's in the room and, and their personalities. I'll give you an anecdote from my own life. It's a bigger business, right? It's the first company that I worked for, a manufacturing company, and we, we implemented a new system, and it was an extremely large investment. It was, I think, something like a $30 million custom-developed system. In terms of the IT world, it was best practices. We had two dedicated business people who were giving us the needs and the requirements and all that. And we built the system and we put it out there. And then within a month we started, there was a general revolt going on from, from the users of the system. And they were complaining about it's complicated and it, it doesn't have everything I need and I'm not sure how to use it. And, you know, when it came down to it, we started digging into it then. And we said, well, what's really going on here? Because they were going to scrap the whole thing, right? What turned out is that a couple, three people working for about a month made some fine-tuning to the way that the user interface worked, and everyone loved it then. And, and the question is, well, how did that happen, and what was the, the solution? And what happened was the people that we worked with who were telling us how it should work were what I call super users. They were people who were very sophisticated, and so they kind of posited, this is the way we'd like everyone to work, but it wasn't the way everybody worked. So what we failed there is we didn't have a representative group. You know, it could have been very simply fixed. So we spoke to two people who are probably in a, a small majority, or minority, I should say. And we really should have looked and said, well, how do people work today or how do they want to work? And let's make sure that we have all those groups represented. And a little tweak like that would have saved us, you know, heart, you know, heart failure, really, <laughs> in that process. Now, again, 
the rule here or the lesson here is representativeness. So like you really just start thinking about knowing your customers. And so again, the pitfall could be if I listen to the person I spoke to last, or I listen to the person who confirms what I think, or I listen to the person who's not the average customer, then I could be off very easily. So a very simple thing that doesn't require a lot of investment is simply thinking about heard of things like buyer personas and all that, understanding your customers and, and their dynamics. You you may have, um, depending on your product, may be based on age or, or gender or things like that. That are Those are the dimensions of diversity of your customer base. Just know who they are and know are 50% this kind of person or 50. And is the person I'm talking to representative of that 50%? That's going to have a lot of weight then in, in what I listen to. Whereas if it's someone who's kind of unusual and not the normal customer, I don't give it as much weight. I don't listen to it as much. So it's really diversity of needs and reasons for buying. That's what you look at. Like if you're doing business to business, you may look at small versus large businesses have different different reasons for buying, different processes of buying. So you got to look at them differently. Or you may have different industries of businesses that come to you for buying it for different reasons. So it's really thinking about it that way. And then the consumer side, it's the same thing. It's really thinking about what's the reason why someone is coming to buy? Is it the person who's buying it for this application or that application? And that's more the diversity. It's more about representativeness than diversity. Diversity sometimes can has a lot of other meanings that can cloud this in particular, but it's about being representative of the buyer reason. I could see why a consistent and structured approach would lead to better data but it might also produce a frighteningly large pile of data that makes it hard to turn into the decisions that lead to innovation. I asked what approach Dave recommended to organize the information and synthesize it into insights that lead to useful action. Well, for starters, I'd say, you know, leverage the data you have. So if you have sales data, like in the retail world, you could look at sales at different times of the day, certain things selling this time or times of the year and all that. Kind of doing some analysis on what you already have in that case might do something simply like, I might ask a particular question of every 10th customer, or I could do simple things like do an experiment with pricing or do, if I'm doing a marketing mailer, I can do an A versus B, which is I put out two messages to two different groups and I see which one is more successful. The key thing is experimentation in a way that's not dangerous, right? And <laughs> they're not going to hurt the business and collecting the information from that. Again, you got to scale it to the business size and the resources that are available. I think it's stepping out of the transactional world sometimes and having the opportunity to really listen to buyers or even having someone, again, with a storefront, observe. How do people come into the store? Where do they go? So it can be very simple things. You, you can't do them once a year. Like you've got to do them in a kind of a consistent way. Sometimes it's getting the insight of now, what do I do with this? It isn't just... Customer told me they want this, so I'm going to give them that. I think the leap that business owners have to make is figuring out, now what do I offer? And a lot of times one of the pitfalls you fall into is asking customers for features or specific solutions versus outcomes. So I think the key thing when you're asking is really you're looking for, for outcomes. What does the product do for the customer? Then it's up to us to say, okay, now what's the best solution to achieve that outcome? The key is trying things and experimenting and finding ways to do it without big financial investments and observing results. And I think it's that continuous process of experimenting that ultimately leads to the benefit for the business of being different from your competitors because you're continuously doing this. So if you're not constantly improving, then your competition may be doing that and you're not differentiated and you don't have superior business results. Many thanks to Dave Sagers for explaining his approach to creating innovation through customer engagement. You can reach Dave through his website, sagersassociates.com. That's spelled S-A-G-E-R-S. Thanks to Komiku for music, our theme is by Orchestral Movement of 1932. 
Small Business as Usual is presented by the Community Economic Development Fund, a nonprofit organization which provides enterprises in Connecticut with term loans, lines of credit, and commercial mortgages when they can't get traditional bank financing. For the fifth year in a row, we're Connecticut's top SBA microlender. We make business term loans at very nominal interest rates, as small as a few thousand dollars, and larger business loans too, from a pool of loan capital provided by many of the state's leading banks. There are geographic and or income qualification requirements for the borrowers. You can find out more about all of this at CEDF.com. And this episode of Small Business as Usual is available there. It's number 18-9. Hey Dave, what you think about our new condenser microphone? It's not an innovation.